You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Tim McMaster here, joined by our MLB.com Red Sox reporter, Ian Brown. First podcast of 2016. So first off, Ian, Happy New Year. You too, Tim. All right, so obviously the Red Sox before the new year did plenty of their work as far as this season goes, looking ahead to 2016. So between now and when spring training gets started in, in a little over a month, hard to believe that, what is there left to do when, when Dave Dombrowski looks at this roster and looks at this team? Yeah, I actually think Dave Dombrowski feels pretty good about his roster right now. and He'd be happy to go uh, you know, to spring training with this roster. A lot of people say, oh, you know, why didn't you trade Hanley Ramirez? You know, I think that's easier said than done with, with Hanley's contract, and he's not coming off a very good year. And also, you know, the Red Sox kind of need his production, you know, behind David Ortiz, and they need uh, as much offense as you can get. So, you know, I almost think that they think that, uh, you know, their their best team would be one in which Hanley is hitting like he's capable of. So, you know, I expect Hanley Ramirez to come to the uh, spring training with this team in, in February. It's weird how I think people's viewpoint of a team changes a little over time as the offseason goes by. When, when the Red Sox made the moves to get Kimbrell, to get Price, to, get, to bring in these players and quickly fill all these holes, what I was reading as far as the fan base goes was just excitement and here we go, we're ready to contend. And then the more time that goes by, people seem to start bringing up the question marks. Uh, is Castillo going to be able to do it in the outfield? What about Hanley and Pablo? Is that just a natural thing that happens with fans? They're never, they can never be happy enough. Yeah, I mean that's the beautiful thing about Boston. Is you know people aren't sugarcoating anything. They're always trying to find you know whatever that weakness might be and try to you know analyze it and hope they can build the perfect team. But you know it's, it's tough to build the perfect team. Dave Dombrowski certainly uh, made a nice start. Uh, you know toward building a, a playoff team with getting David Price and getting Kimbrell. And I think that uh, Chris Young and Carson Smith are also real nice additions to this team. And the team kind of finished strong last year with some of the young guys starting to stand out. But, uh, yeah, you're always one. There, there's always going to be question marks in any season, and that's what makes a place like Boston, uh, you know, a lot of fun because people are analyzing the Red Sox uh, uh, year-round, and it's only going to get uh, – there's only going to be more scrutiny once the uh, Patriots playoff run ends, you know, whenever that is. Yeah, you know, the Red Sox always hoping for those Super Bowl runs from the Patriots just to <laughs> keep them going until spring training. All right, well, Wade Boggs is going to have his number retired for the Boston Red Sox, and I think some people would say, hey, this is about time. And then other people will say, wait, this is the guy that went to the Yankees. So what kind of a vibe have you been getting as far as this decision by the Red Sox to retire Wade Boggs as number 26? Yeah, I think the first thing you said were, you know, what took so long? I mean, Wade Boggs is a first ballot Hall of Famer who won five batting titles. And, oh, by the way, all five of those batting titles were with the Boston Red Sox, not the New York Yankees. He's never a Hall of Fame player. Um, without playing for the Red Sox and without that uh, swing that he tailored perfectly for Fenway Park, um, you know, playing racquetball at that left field wall out there for, for so many years. So, yeah, I just think that, uh, you know, for whatever reason, um, yeah, maybe they were a little wary of it before because he did leave for the Yankees. But, you know, as Wade himself has explained a lot in recent weeks, it wasn't really his choice. You know, the Red Sox have made an offer to him to be a Red Sox for life. And uh, Gene Yockey made him that offer. And then she passed away a few months after that. And the offer was pulled off the table and never really revisited, and the Red Sox decided to go in another direction. So at that point, as often happens when a Red Sox uh, player doesn't get an offer from the team for free agency, the Yankees are the next team to step in. Um, that's what happened in Wade's case. He happened to win a championship with that team 
and that's just the way. But, you know, that, that's ancient history now, and it's time to appreciate what Wade Boggs did. Um, the guy was a hitting machine, best pure hitter in the American League for most of his time in Boston, so I think it's a fitting tribute that his number will be, try, be retired on May 26th, uh, matching his uniform number of 26. Yeah, I think when he, he not only went to the Yankees, you know, but he did win the championship, and I think for a long time people just saw him on the back of that horse at Yankee <laughs> Stadium after winning the title, but eventually that goes away, and I think it's important what you said. I mean, when you look at what he did in his career, he did most of it in Boston, and uh, certainly great to be remembered, and it's neat how the Red Sox in recent years have kind of put bygones behind them. Carlton Fisk. They put that kind of behind them and put his number up there, and now Wade Boggs as well. You said it. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer, which brings us to the discussion of the 2016 Hall of Fame class because it's that week in baseball. Once you get past the new year, it's time to think Hall of Fame. And the Red Sox, a few players on the ballot, nobody that's going to get in the Hall of Fame for 2016, but Kurt Schilling, uh, 39.2% in 2015. 15, and that's expected to jump here in 2016. Schilling's still with plenty of time to get in the hall. Do you think he's a guy that, that gradually climbs that mountain and gets to the needed 75% to get into Cooperstown? Yeah, I absolutely think that Kurt Schilling is going to be in the Hall of Fame one day, uh, you know, maybe in the next three, four years. I think what hurt him the last couple of years was just, you know, that you had the Glavins and the Maddoxes and the Smoltzes and the Pedros and the Randy Johnsons, just guys who were um, almost like once-in-a-generation type pitchers. But Schilling is pretty darn good in his own right and as good in, or better in the postseason than, than all those guys. And I think as the voting population gets younger and smarter and they look at some of the uh, you know, some of the more relevant new-age statistics that are, that are out there, Schilling um, comes up big in all, in all of those. Just cause, you know, He doesn't have the gaudy win total. Um, but you know, wins become less important as you look uh, more beyond, more into the numbers. And Schilling was certainly um, a strike machine, uh, a big game pitcher, and certainly everything you'd want on a pitcher. The only thing really lacking on his resume was a Cy Young, but he, you know, he finished second uh, three or four times, I think, and um, just took on against Randy Johnson and, pa- and Pedro and guys like that in that generation. Kind of hurt him in that in that uh, department, but yeah, I think that Schilling will, will get us the Hall of Fame. Yeah, three times Cy Young runner-up. I think what hurts him sometimes is that he was rarely the best pitcher on his team, but that's right. not necessarily his fault. When you're talking about Randy Johnson and Pedro Martinez, two guys who went into the Hall of Fame on the first ballot, I mean, it's tough to be better than that guy. But Schilling certainly has those moments. I feel like that's what ends up carrying him over is the bloody sock. The, the title with the Diamondbacks beating the Yankees and then to go to Boston and break that long drought and, and to break the curse. Those are the things that I think eventually, as time goes by, stand out more and more as historic moments. And those are the things that some players who are on the cusp don't necessarily have. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Schilling at his best was utterly dominant. I mean, would you rather have um, Kurt Schilling or Don Sutton? You know what I mean? And not to diminish Don Sutton, but here's a guy who's in the Hall of Fame because he accumulated a lot of wins. I don't think that uh, anybody saw them at the both of them at the height of their games. Probably any one of them would probably tell you that Kurt Schilling was the more dominant pitcher out of the two. And isn't that what it's about? Is being sort of the best of the best. So I think that uh, yeah, you know, you have the bloody sock, and even in Philadelphia, he won some huge games in that '93 playoff run. And of course, Arizona, they don't win that World Series without both Schilling and uh, Randy Johnson. The two of them really fed off each other that year. So, yeah, I, I do think that uh, you know Schilling is going to get it. It's just going to take a couple more years. 
Nomar Gassiapara also on the ballot. He's a guy who was in on for the first time a year ago. He got the he got 5.5%, so he was able to stay on the ballot. It seems like that may not be the case this year. Nomar is a guy that it seems like when you look back to his years in Boston, he was headed for a Hall of Fame career early on, but then the injuries caught up with him a little bit. He ended up, you know, leaving the team, getting traded, of course, in the 2004 season, and he didn't quite finish his career the way a Hall of Famer finishes a career. Yeah, like you said, Nomar was really on, you know, he was really on a Hall of Fame track. I mean, people, his first four years in Boston were just crazy. I mean, people were comparing him to Ted Williams, saying that, he was going to be the best Red Sox player, best Red Sox hitter since Ted Williams. Um, he was also tremendous defensively back in those days and could run. But, yeah, injuries really uh, took their toll after about uh, 2003. Uh, you know, he really never came close to, to being that kind of player again. He had, the, you know, one kind of throwback year in Los Angeles where he made the all-star team. But, yeah, injuries really uh, betrayed this guy and took away what, what, what would have been a Hall of Fame career. So almost, you know, in a way like a, a poor man Don Mattingly. I don't think he had quite the career that Mattingly did, but the same type of thing where you know, he looked like he was on his way to being a Hall of Famer and just, uh, you know, la- lack of health really, really hurt him. But, yeah, Red Sox fans will never forget uh, how good he was and how popular he was in those early years. Just not quite enough for a Hall of Fame career, though. It was a tough holiday season as far as uh, the Red Sox nation goes with some some all-time fan-favorite Red Sox, one that played a long time in Boston, one that his time in Boston was brief, but but such great moments. Let's start with Dave Henderson, has a heart attack, age 57, really gone too soon. But as a Red Sox guy that covers the Red Sox uh, in Boston, you can't forget what this guy did in 1986. They picked him up late in the year. He was there for less than a season, but the moments he had in that postseason run in 1986, and if they don't melt down late in Game 6, boy, the two moments to hit the home run against the Angels in the ALCS and then to homer in Game 6 against the Mets, two of the biggest home runs in Mets in Red Sox history. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Dave Henderson, you think about it, Game 5 of the 86 ALCS, you know, the Red Sox are down three games to one. Uh, you know, it looks like they're going to be bounced in five games. Uh, Tony Armour sprains an ankle earlier in that game. And Dave Henderson really hadn't played a whole lot uh, since they acquired him in uh, late August of that season. Comes off the bench, and, you know, people forget this, but he actually knocked a home run over the wall. He went to try to rob, I think it was Bobby Gritch, of a home run earlier in that game when they were down about 3-2, to two, and the ball went off of his glove as he jumped over the wall, and the Red Sox are then down 5-2. to two. So it looks like Dave Henderson's almost going to be the go to the game. Uh, and then he, you know, one strike away from the season being over, you know, he hits the Donnie Moore fork ball, uh, lifts it over the wall, and the Red Sox are just going crazy. It's an iconic moment in team history, really. Uh, and it's just sad because this is going to be the 30-year anniversary of that. Dave Henderson, I'm sure, was going to be back in Boston, and he was going to be getting recognized, and it was just going to be a great time. He would have been, I'm sure, the centerpiece of this celebration for this 86 team, and now you know he, he's gone far too soon. And like you said, he also hit the big home run in Game 6 in Shea Stadium in the 10th inning that put, that put them ahead and put them three outs away from, from winning their World Series and breaking that so-called curse back in 1986 rather than 18 years later. Uh, and, and, you know, one thing I remember with Dave Henderson, as every time he caught a ball, he had this big smile on his face and he had this big gap uh, between the, the front teeth and just uh, really loved playing the game. And it's just, uh, you know, it's sad to see him go in, in his 50s. And then the other player, the Red Sox Nation, lost Frank Malzone, 85 years old. And we were talking about Wade Boggs, 
But before Wade Boggs, Frank Malzone was probably the best third baseman the Red Sox ever had playing back in the 50s and 60s. Yeah, you know what really hurt Frank Malzone as far as getting his due was that you know, Frank Malzone uh, joined the Red Sox just after their run of great teams in the late 40s with Ted Williams, just after that run had ended. And then he retired the year before the impossible dream. So he pretty much played in a generation of losing Red Sox teams, and here was a uh, a really fine, fine, fine player, uh, offensively and defensively, and a class gentleman by all accounts, who just uh, didn't get his due through time just because he played in an unmemorable time for the Red Sox. But, yeah, he had a good long life. So unlike Dave Henderson, who went way too soon, Malzone had a good long life, very fulfilling and, uh, you know, made a lot of return trips to Fenway Park over the years. People always enjoyed his company, and, uh, you know, hopefully now, you know, now people sort of appreciate some of the things he did for the Red Sox during his time there because it was, it was a very fine career. Yeah, and it's nice to see some of those stories remembered when a guy lives a long life like Frank Malzone did but, but gone at age 85. That's going to do it for us, Ian. Thanks a lot for joining us on the podcast. MLB.tv Premium, the number one live streaming sports service, is celebrating 13 years. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand in true HD. Real-time highlights, live look-ins, pitch tracking widget, and more. MLB.tv Premium includes a free At-Bat 15 subscription. Watch live baseball on over 400 mobile and connected devices. Watch at home, in the office, or on the go. Every night, on every device. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details.